As I said earlier, we have um, two texts for our summer in the Psalms. One of them is definitely a psalm, and one of them is definitely not. (laughs) But, um, of course, Paul quotes Psalm 32 in a way that is absolutely um, essential to the argument that he's making. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of the argument that Paul is making in Romans before we dive into that text, but it's helpful to know that it is 100% in line with Psalm 32. Uh, he quotes these first two verses, but as I was saying the last time, we know that when When somebody quotes the very first two verses of a psalm in the New Testament, we're supposed to be hearing the entire psalm. They had these memorized the same way that we have songs memorized and and would be able to finish the rest of the psalm in their head. It would be like if I were to say, stop, collaborate, and listen... Thanks, there you go, see? All right, for some of you older folks, that's okay. I'm sure there's some songs that I don't know that that you would be able to do as well. But that's the whole point of this. So when, when Paul quotes these first two verses, we're supposed to get the entire psalm. So this is Psalm 32, a mesquil of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, and through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you, And teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. And shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Romans is quite literally the most complete, systematic, theological letter that Paul writes, that we have in the New Testament. And in the first three chapters, what he's really done is built an airtight case that sin and and the breaking of the law applies to everyone. Nobody is without guilt. 
Nobody is innocent of sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Quoted right there in Romans, it's impossible. So he builds this airtight case. And when you look at it really closely, you see he makes ontological arguments, philosophical arguments. He makes theological arguments based off of you know, Old Testament, Hebrew canon law. All of these things wraps the whole thing up in a nice bow and then starts talking about, okay, so we're sinners. How was how that dealt with? And he makes the case, not with by doing something, not with by earning our forgiveness, but rather a free gift of faith. So I quote this later in the sermon with my own emphasis, capitalized, underlined. But here, just listen for that word gift and then see how he quotes Psalm 32. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, where we start today as we consider this psalm is with unconfessed sin. It's the first bullet point in the sermon. And I think that's important to note. that We're talking about unconfessed sin, which is different in nature than sin that has been confessed. But we're also talking about unconfessed sin that is unconfessed before the Lord. See, there's a big difference. When we confess our sins, like I said earlier in the confession and absolution, when you confess your sins before a judge or the police or even a friend, like, I was the one who told everybody about the thing, or I was the one who ate your lunch out of the refrigerator, in the workspace, kitchen, whatever, in the the staff kitchen. I was the one who did that thing. We're expecting some sort of response. And we're expecting, how could you do that? Or go to jail. I mean, something along those lines of, of, of recompense for what we have confessed. We're talking here about unconfessed sin before God. And it's it's an important distinction because Paul also says in Romans that therefore there is no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus. Meaning before God, if we believe and are baptized, we're good. And, and we're not going to get that how could you. We're not going to get that, that condemnation and that judgment from God. So the, the question hypothetically could be then, what's the point? 
What's the point of us gathering on a Sunday morning and spending that amount of time that we have in worship making sure we confess to God something he already knows, something he's well aware of? Well, it's because of the nature of sin, especially the nature of sin that, that is in relationship to our regenerate, internal, indwelling spirit of God that lives within us. You see, unconfessed sin is corrosive. Unconfessed sin is like a weight that is on us. And yeah, with somebody else, it can be the same way. You're looking at that person, you're like, I totally ate their sandwich, and I know how much that made them angry, and I know how hungry they are. And you feel that guilt that's sort of corrosive on you. But there's a whole nother level of sin that, that resides in us that is less concrete and able to be understood. Things like pride or jealousy. I mean, you, you may not have acted out of jealousy or pride, but you have it in you, and, and you're fighting against it constantly. And I don't have anything to confess. I, I wasn't outwardly jealous towards a person, but inwardly I was very jealous towards that person. And it just sits there, and it eats at you, right? It just, just kind of grinds on you. It's like somebody poured sand into the gears of a very finely tuned watch or machine, and you know it's not good. You know, over time, it's, it's just going to eat away at who you are. And, well, David does a really good job of describing it in verse 3 and 4, which we have on our screen. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That guilt, the shame, all of that, he, he describes it as wasting away. I, I like that idea of corrosion because we live in Iowa where they put salt on the roads in winter. <laughs> and we've all seen our vehicles waste away. <laughs> slowly degenerate, right? Starting around the fenders, you get those little spots and it bubbles and you go, ugh, already too late. Once that paint bubbles a little bit, it's already too late. And it's gonna eat away and there's gonna be a little bit less metal and a little bit less metal and then you go through the car wash and a little bit flakes off and you go, ugh, right? And slowly by slowly, your, your car is just wasting away. This is the reality we all have with our vehicles, but because of sin, it's the reality of our hearts. Unless there is something that can be done about it. Unless there is something that can be done to, to regenerate our hearts. Well, this is, this is David's exact point, is when he kept quiet, in other words, when he didn't confess his sin, it just was eating away at him. It was just grinding on him. And, and there is something about us, all of us, and this is, this is a humanity-wide thing. There's something about us that doesn't want to go and confess to God, even though it is the simplest thing to do. 
It, it couldn't be easier to confess to God who we are and our sin. You don't have to do it out loud. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to do it. You don't have to go by the, the formulaic words that many of us grew up with in an old Lutheran church. I, a poor, miserable sinner by thought, word, and deed. Remember that? Like we, we did this very, you know, you can do it any time at all. In fact, you know, the, the words in our text this morning has been found in more than one Lutheran hymnal over time, and they didn't exist for David until he wrote them. <laughs> Right? So David didn't recite those words until he thought of those words and wrote them down. But he knew this. He knew that when he didn't do this simple thing, when he just stayed quiet and, and didn't want to go to God, he was being stubborn, he was being rebellious, and frankly, that describes humanity all the way back to Adam and Eve. Stubborn and rebellious. Adam and Eve stubbornly and rebelliously heard what God said, don't eat of that fruit. Because then you'll know the difference and have the understanding of good and evil. And they went, hmm, maybe I want to have the understanding. <laughs> maybe I want that. And so they eat of the fruit, and then what do they do? They hide they play hide-and-seek in creation with the creator of creation, right? You play hide-and-seek in your house with your kids. If you can't find them for a while, it's probably because they know of a place that you don't know about. <laughs> they know of a way to get inside of a cupboard. You couldn't imagine they could get in there. They're playing hide-and-seek with God, who created all of the places to hide and has the perfect memory of where those places are, plus knowing, as he does, where everybody is. See how stubborn and rebellious, and I'm sorry, not everybody likes their kid to hear this word, but I don't care. It's stupid to hide from God, right? Some, some real dum-dums here, like, ooh, maybe God won't see me, and yet we do the same thing. And David tells us in a way that I'm, I'm going to continue his, his method of, of being a little bit careful with this is when you're doing that, you're, you're being a donkey. <laughs> Don't be a donkey is David's encouragement to you. It's, again, right there in the text, made more palatable for us uh, in our English translation do not like a horse or a mule without understanding with, with, which must be curbed with a bit and a bridle or it will not stay near to you. Come on, guys. Don't be that stubborn that you need, you need some kind of intervention. And David had that intervention. Uh, most of us know the story of, of David, Bathsheba, and then someone has to come to him and, and point out, this is a sin that you have done, a terrible thing that, that is on you. That was the bit and the bridle that David required. And he's saying, don't, don't be like me, the one who is stubborn, the one who remained quiet, 
the one who didn't acknowledge that this sin is in my heart and in my life. Because again, you are, you're not acknowledging it to a God who already knows. He's fully aware that your heart's full of whatever your heart specifically is full of. I mean, I, I can tell you mine. I have a heart that is full of pride and arrogance. And no one is surprised when I confess that in front of you. You all see it pretty regularly, right? I have a heart that can be quick to anger, frustrated with people. I have a heart that, that sometimes doesn't want to deal with something that I know I, this is my responsibility. Or I, just, I would rather go over here. I'd just rather go do something fun than deal with this mess because I don't want to fail. That's a big one for me, fear of failure. Somebody's having this existential theological crisis in their life, and they look to me. My first reaction is always, you should find someone better <laughs> than me for this. I'm going to mess it up. And, I, and, that, and just in that, I find more than one sin, right? I'm not trusting that God's going to deliver to me the right words at the right time, which he has done so many times. I promise you, if I've ever said something to you and it hit home and you were like, Pastor Lou got it, that was right, just what I needed to hear, I have no idea what it was. <laughs> that was the Holy Spirit doing what he promises to do when he says, I will give you the right word at the right time for the right person. Which just reveals another one of my core sins that I still think it's up to me and not God to serve the people of living faith or out in the world. You see, I am full of this. I can identify these things simply and easily in my life, so can you. Maybe you haven't done it yet. Maybe you need to spend some time doing it. Maybe you need to be introspective and say, where is this sin in my heart and in my life? Where is this going on inside of me that I need to have this dealt with? What am I being quiet about that's eating me up inside? So it most often will manifest as an insecurity. I'm afraid that I'm going to mess this thing up. Or I'm afraid that I'm going to be abandoned. I'm afraid of whatever. These insecurities, again, having been at Camp Omega for a week with a bunch of junior high, actually younger, 9 to 15-year-olds, basically, I, I am really, again, encouraged and reinforced in the idea that all of our insecurities are sort of like crystallized in junior high. That's when they got there. And then they spend the rest of our lives manifesting in more mature, complicated, and devastating ways. So if you're not sure, think back when you were in sixth through eighth grade. What were you insecure about then? Okay, that's what you're insecure about now. If you dig down, most of the time, not 100% proof, but most of the time, in my opinion, but at any rate, when we just refuse to acknowledge that to God and say, Lord, I, this is who I am. He already knows. But when you do that, again, not for his benefit, not for his knowledge or understanding, it's for you. He then removes that iniquity 
He then removes those, those feelings of fear and doubt and insecurity because what the person of faith hears in church very literally, but you should also hear this in your mind when you do it at home, at work, wherever you do it, you acknowledge who you are and your insecurities and your brokenness and your sin, and what you hear in return is, I know, I love you. Despite or regardless of all of that, you're forgiven, now don't be afraid. Don't have that insecurity. Don't have those fears. And when you trust that, that trust can last for days, <laughs> weeks, years, sometimes only minutes, and you have to do it again. But this is that discipline of confessing, being forgiven, and then trusting what he says and living your life. This all points us back to the cross. Because there is the place where it happened for real. So this is, this is the thing, is, is our faith, our spirituality, our religion isn't a philosophy, it, it isn't something ethereal, it isn't a way of life, it isn't all of these non-concrete things. It all boils down to there was a man come from God, born unto a virgin, he was God, he is God, and he is man, and he did a thing. And the thing that really historically happened on that cross was the thing that really historically makes a difference in my life. This is not pretend and it's not symbolic. I can't see it and I don't always understand it, but I know that it is true. Just like here with the body and blood of Jesus, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Tastes like bread and wine to me, but there is more to this than I can understand and perceive because God said so. When he said, this is my body, this is my blood. In the same way, on the cross, in a way that I can't see or understand, but I believe to be true, all of the sin that is, that is mine and yours and everyone who's ever lived who believes in this God and everyone who ever will live who believes in this God, all of that sin was placed onto, into, made to be Jesus, and then all of the goodness of Jesus, all of the, the righteousness was taken from Jesus and applied to me in a way I can't see or understand or perceive or any of that, but it's true. But it's true. And it's when I listen to the perfect one who says these things about me, that's when the corrosion stops. Because the corrosion is really about me saying, I have done this thing. I am guilty of this sin. I'm guilty of pride. I'm guilty of, of anger. Of, I'm guilty of all of these things. So I must be unworthy. I'm listening to me. You know who I'm listening to? A donkey. <laughs> I'm listening to a sinner. I'm listening to a flawed, imperfect knucklehead. And that's not a good idea. When I listen to him, 
He says, you are righteous, you are holy, you are forgiven, you are free, you, you are good. I see in you the righteousness of my son. That's what I see. When I listen to him, the corrosion doesn't just stop, it's reversed. And maybe I have to remind myself of that 10 times a day. Maybe I have to remind myself of that only once a day because of where I'm at in my faith walk. But you must be reminded of it because that, that liar that lives inside that wants to remind you of your sin and of your brokenness, they're not going to be quiet. And this, as Paul is describing, isn't a work it's not exactly a discipline, even though it feels like a discipline. It is a gift. This is the gift that God gives. There's really only two ways you can deal with this corrosiveness of unconfessed sin. One is to work hard to try and be better, to work really hard to remove it from you. And Paul says, work all you want. You ain't never going to get it gone. But what he says in Romans chapter 4 is very simple. Where did I start with this? Okay. <laughs> Oops. I'll just read it on the screen. And that is my emphasis there, the capital. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, his paycheck, his wages. You worked really hard. This is what you deserve. This is what you have earned. And it isn't good enough. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's you. You're the one blessed. You're the one for whom God doesn't count your sins or iniquities. And it's not because you fixed it. It's not because you figured it out. It's not because of the five ways to improve your life or anything like that. It is simply an acknowledgement to your creator and his son, your redeemer, that this is who you are. You're just acknowledging. You didn't do it. You're not working on it. And in fact, we know that this is not a work but of faith because you can't acknowledge something to someone you don't believe exists. You can't acknowledge to Jesus who you are unless you think he's real. And if you think he's real, you believe. And if you believe, it's already done. Because if you acknowledge him and you say, Jesus is my Lord, if you acknowledge him and you say, Lord, I need to confess this to you, I need to acknowledge who I am, you've already put him in the right place, which is the one who already knows, meaning he's powerful, meaning he's God. You've already placed him in the right place. It's when you're not acknowledging him that you think he won't find out because you're just as powerful as him. Your level of sneakiness is even to his level of knowingness. And we know that that's not true. When you acknowledge you're just putting yourself in the right place and you're saying, God, you're God, and I am here in this position. You already know this. I'm simply saying this thing is true. And then it is the gift. 
the gift that was already there, the gift that was actually won for you on the cross, applied to you the moment you believed. For many of us, that moment is at baptism, but the gift just simply is and remains. And when you acknowledge this, the gift now becomes manifest in the corrosion of your heart, dissipating in the weight of guilt on your shoulder, evaporating. It's the, it's the acknowledgement that God is in control of all of these things, and yeah, I may have to go confess to somebody that I did something and say something, and they might get mad at me, and I may need to work out a relationship renewal with them. I may have to go and do something over here. I say, I confess it was me, and face a punishment, but not with God. With God, you are in the right place if you believe. With God, you acknowledge, you confess, your heart is clean. Your spirit is free. The gift is manifest. It's yours. Embrace it. And then learn what it is to continue to seek that gift in your life daily. How simple it is. How easy it is. It doesn't take work. It just takes acknowledging who you are. That's the gift, and to not do so, well, don't be that donkey. Amen. And may the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand for prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the free gift of righteousness and life eternal. I thank you, Lord, that it is not by work, not by effort, not by proficiency that we find ourselves to be righteous, holy, and a part of your kingdom, but rather it is by you, your efforts, it is by your son Jesus, active thousands of years ago on the cross, active today by way of the Holy Spirit in our lives that forgives, renews, and leads us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.